Good afternoon and welcome to Hebrew Club. It is a beautiful and hot July day here in St. Louis and I have my hefty man size large print Hebrew Bible in front of me. So do a couple of the guys uh, here at the table. We lugged them all the way up three floors to read a little Hebrew today. So it just it's a testimony to our great dedication to the scriptures, to the language. Um, it's a clear sign of our piety. We had gotten last week to 2 Samuel verse 23. 2 Samuel, sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 2 verse 23 was the last verse that we read. This chapter is the struggle between David and Ishbosheth, uh, the heir of Saul, in terms of who is going to who is going to take the reins over God's people in the promised land um, now that Saul is dead. And David is reigning over Judah from Hebron. And in this chapter, his, his uh, general Joab and his two brothers are fighting against Abner, the general Abner, who is defending the heir of Saul. And uh, the heir of Saul is reigning over not just the tribe of Benjamin, but all Israel, the text has told us. So really it's Judah against all of Israel in a sense, but it really is personified in this chapter um, in the persons of the leaders. Joab and his two brothers, Asahel has just been, one of his brothers has just been slain as he's pursuing Abner in verse 23. If you were here last week, you'll recall that Abner was pleading with him, please turn aside, stop chasing me. Uh, not as a coward, but because he doesn't want to have to kill Asahel, he doesn't know how he'll be able to face his brother Joab if he kills him. And uh, But Asahel continues after him, and so Abner strikes him with the rear parts of his spear. It comes out his back. He falls down dead, and verse 23 says at the end that everyone who came upon that place where he fell stopped. Stopped to look at and, and uh, in awe at, at uh, one, one of their dead leaders. So verse 24 picks up the chase after stopping to gawk at dead Asahel. Uh, Asahel the chase continues in verse 24. Va'yir Yoav, va'avishai, akarei avner, v'hashemesh ba'ah, v'hemabau ad gibat atah, asher al penei giak, derek midbar gibon. And they pursued Radaf, the subject, uh, these two men, Yoav and Abishai, the brothers of the slain Asahel, they pursued Akare Avner after Abner, and Hashemesh, the son, went down, and they came as far as the hill of Amah, and then... Uh, it describes where that hill of Amah is. Take a look at these two phrases, though, in the middle. The, notice the way that the subject of the clauses shifts back and forth in this sentence. The subject of the first verb they pursued is Joab and Abishai. Then the subject of the next verb is the son. And the subject of the next verb is they, Hamah, referring back to Joab and Abishai. And uh, this is a way, because of this reference to the son um, the son went, uh, the son 
bowed from the hollow root bow, this is a temporal clause set in the middle of this phrase. And so in English, we're, in, in Hebrew, it really is just piled up like another independent uh, clause strung together in this compound sentence. This happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. They pursued after Abner, the sun went, and they came to the hill. But uh, um, even though Hebrew tends to just stick temporal clauses, subordinate temporal clauses, into a syntax that looks like just a piled up series of, of uh, separate sentences, in English, we don't do that. In English, we wouldn't say, they chased after Abner, the sun went down, they came. We would say, they chased after Abner, and as the sun went down, or after the sun went down, something like this. This is a little bit like having to deal with participles in Greek when they're functioning uh, temporally. Um, in terms of the syntax, it looks kind of unmarked. It's just the, the, sun's, the sun was setting and they whatever. But in English, we um, define that a little more closely and say when the sun was setting. We actually mark it as a temporal phrase. So uh, the translations will either say, as the sun was setting, as soon as the sun set, when the sun had set, something like that. They came, ad gibat amah, to the hill of amah, which was uh, upon the face of Giok, or in front of Giok, near the place called Giok. And then uh, we have just a noun phrase, Derek Midbar Gibeon, the way of the wilderness of Gibeon. And here is a case where you have a noun that doesn't have any apparent function in the syntax. It's not a subject, object of preposition, or a direct object. And so you treat it adverbially. It's just modifying the place where Giok is. Giok is on the way. Uh, of the wilderness of Gibeon, or on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. Any questions on verse 24? So does the, are you saying that the temporal clause normally modifies or gives context to the clause that follows it? Uh, actually, the, uh, if, it's, if it's structured like this, that's probably the case. Um, and, and that's generally the case in Hebrew, that temporal clauses precede um, the main clause. Now, Hebrew can also structure temporal clauses as subordinate clauses. Um, oftentimes with vaihi or vahaya plus an infinitive construct. A lot of times Hebrew will use the infinitive construct, right, to do temporal clauses. Um, it would say something like, and it was in the, uh, what is it here? In the, in the setting of the sun or something like that, and you would translate it, and it happened when the sun set, and then you'd introduce your main clause with a vav consecutive. But uh, it can also, uh, Hebrew can also, simply string together independent clauses, and one of them can function temporally. Um, you always have to ask yourself, is the best translation of a series of straightforward clauses in Hebrew is the best translation always this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened um, and temporal clause though not the most common is one option of, uh, of rendering a phrase in a series like that all right verse 25 vayit kabatsu b'nei binyamin akare avner 
Vayichyu le aguda akat. Vayamdu al rosh giba akat. All right, the first verb there, that vav consecutive, you can recognize these hithpaels are so kind to us. They're so easy to parse compared to some of the other uh, Hebrew conjugations. You can recognize that as a hithpael of kavats. Kavats is to gather to, to gather or to collect. So in the hithpael, it would be uh, reflexive, right? They gathered themselves. So the, the people of Benjamin, or the sons of Benjamin, gathered themselves, akare abner, behind abner. Or you might say around abner. They, um, they're giving their allegiance to him and, and showing up in his presence here. Vayihyu le aguda echat. And they were a single uh, troop or band. Um, Uguda is a feminine noun. That's why you have the feminine echat after it, the number one. Um, I suppose with haya plus le here, you could say they became a single group. They became one group, though that might be a little strong. It's really just describing um, what's going on here. They gathered themselves to Ab behind Abner, and they were a single group. And they stood upon the top of a gibah echat, one hill. They stood upon the top of one hill. So the picture here is Benjamin very unified, right? Um, they, they all gather to Abner. They are a single group. In fact, they're all standing in one place. It even describes it as a single hill where they're all gathered together. Any questions on that verse? Yeah. Uh, well, this is just uh, this is just the name Benjamin okay. Benjamin, uh, and uh, yeah. Why does the well? For one thing, um, Benjamin, the name son of the right, son of the right hand. If it were spelled as two words, would be spelled Ben Yamin, but perhaps it's because it's been pushed together into a single form. You know, it's interesting. Hebrew, Hebrew names um, can sometimes be broken out in the, into their constituent parts, and other times spelled as one word. A good example of that is at the end of. Uh, oh, where does that come here? At the end of. Uh, Verse 31, maybe no. At the end of verse 30, in the, that we're that we'll get to uh, sometime, um, you see the name Asahel at the very end of verse 30, and it's broken into two into two pieces. It's actually kind of confusing. You're trying to make that into and God did or something like that. And um, in fact, it's just the name Asahel, and everywhere else in the text, it's spelled as one word without the metheg in there. All right, uh, on to chapter uh, verse 26. Vayikra Avner el Yoav vayomer ha lanetzak tokal kerev halo yadata ki mara tichye ba akarona. Vaadmatai lo tomar laam 
Lashuv me akare akehem. Akehem. Accent at the end there. All right. Uh, now the conversation resumes. Before it was Abner saying to Asahel, quit following me. Now he's going to say the same to Joab and Abishai. And Abner called out to Joab. And he said, um, this next form, H-la-netzach. Netzach is a noun that means something like uh, everlastingness, um, uh, eternity, something like that. And the lamed on the front is a temporal lamed, so to everlastingness. In other words, forever, the two together, la-netzach. It's oftentimes used in the Psalms and other, elsewhere to mean forever. How about that hey in the front of it with the composite schwa? Okay, it's, ma- it's make marking this as a question. So, question mark. Forever will akal, will devour a sword. Will the sword devour forever? Will the sword devour, eat or devour forever? He's saying... Hasn't this fighting gone? Isn't it time to have a little break from the fighting? Okay, notice uh, the disjunctive vav above kerev and then another interrogative hey right afterwards. So no vavs between the clauses here, but we do have another interrogative piled um, on top of the first interrogative clause. Question mark. Do you not know? Notice the hey on the end of yadata. Usually the second masculine singular perfect just ends with the tav and the comets under it, but sometimes it adds the hey on the end. No difference in meaning, um, but it can throw you off because you're not used to seeing it that way. So, do you not know, and key after a verb of, of seeing or perceiving, verbs like knowing, oftentimes marks the direct object of what is known, or in this case not known. Do you not know that? Mara, bitter, tichye, it will be. Okay? Um, an, implied, an implied subject of it here, really, an impersonal subject. It will be bitter, or you might say the, the matter will be bitter. The thing will be bitter. That's why you have a feminine verb there, tichye, rather than yichye from haya. Do you not know that it will be bitter ba'akorana, in the end? Temporal bait here, and akaron uh, means the the lattermost part of something or the end. Don't you know that it's going to end bitterly? Is basically what he's saying. But woodenly, don't you know that it will be bitter in the end? And then uh, uh, the next clause begins with this vaad matai. Until when? Until when? Or how long? How long, lo tomar la'am la'shuv? How long will you not say? <laughs> so uh, the subject now is second masculine singular, tomar. How long will you not say to the people? And then la'shuv. What part of speech is la'shuv here? What form is that? Yeah, it's the infinitive of shuv marked with the lamed. Um how long will you not say to the people to return or to turn back from after their brothers? All right, questions on 26. Verse 27. By Yomar uh, Yoav, Chai Ha Elohim, Kilule Debarta. 
ki az mehaboker na'ala ha'am ish ma'akare akiv. And Joab said, Chai ha'elohim, as the Lord lives. Um, this is an oath formula. He's uh, simply verifying the truth of what he's about to say. And it's just an adjective in front of the word for God, right? As God lives, or very woodenly, God is living, right? That's a predicate adjective out front. But you have to ask the question when you see that it says God is living, how does that fit in with the speech? And it functions really kind of adverbially here or something like that um, to back up the oath. As God is living, um, indeed, key, lule debarta. Lule is a conditional particle. The normal conditional particle in Hebrew is what? How do you normally say if in Hebrew? If is usually im with an olive, right? Im with an ayin is with, but im with an olive means if. Uh, lule is also a conditional particle, but it indicates a condition contrary to fact. So if I want to say, if I were 10 feet tall, I could dunk a basketball, I would use lule, right? Or if I want to make it negative, if I hadn't eaten so much pizza, I would have dessert or something like that. Um, so you can do a contrary to fact either with a positive or a negative um, statement. Here it's uh, here it is uh, positive. Indeed, if you had not spoken from Davar, then kiaz then mehaboker na Allah haam ish meakare akiv. Let's uh, wait on on the uh, temporal clause there from the morning, and just hold that in reserve for a second. If you hadn't spoken, Abner, then the people would have, uh, and here you have the nifal of, of Allah to go up. The nifal of Allah. What kind of a, a nuance do you suppose would the nifal of Allah be? Normally you think of the nifal as passive, right? But you can't really do a passive of go up. So what's another possible nuance for the nifal besides the passive? Oftentimes the nifal is reflexive. It's usually either the passive or the reflexive of the call. And here's a case where it has to be reflexive. So what would the reflexive sense of Allah be? Yeah, bring yourself up. And in a military context where you have a group that's kind of on the offensive, besieging a city or waging an attack, if you bring yourself up, you remove yourself. You take yourself away in the sense, is the sense here. So, if you hadn't spoken, Abner, the people would have removed themselves from after their brothers. Um, it's singular here, literally, after his brother, because the subject is am, people, but in English we would say after th- their brothers. But what's difficult here is this mehaboker, from the morning. If you hadn't spoken, Abner, then from the morning, the people would have removed themselves from after their brothers, or left off from pursuing after their brothers. What would that mean, from the morning?
okay, the pursuit's been going on since midday anyway, okay, and maybe he's saying this whole chase wouldn't have happened. Um, uh, what I want to suggest as a possibility here is something that we don't normally expect, and that is, well, with min in a temporal sense, what does it usually have the sense of? What's the opposite participle of min in a temporal sense? Min is, say, from today. What would be the opposite of that? Yeah, until, which in Hebrew would be odd. Okay, so min and odd are kind of a pair in Hebrew, from and until. Here, it's from the morning, but Hebrew can have that sense before a time actually comes. The min in Hebrew can mean from the morning, but the morning which has not yet happened. Now, we wouldn't say that in English in that way, but we would, we would tend to say after the morning. After morning comes, they would have stopped pursuing you, in other words, is, is the sense here. From from the morning, uh, from the morning that's about to come, from that time on, they would stop pursuing you. Since that time hasn't yet come, in English, we would say after the morning, um, the people would have left off from after their brothers. All right, what time is it here? 25. 25. Uh, let's let's uh, force our way through one more verse, and then we'll call it quits. Um, all right. Uh Verse 28. And Joab takad on the shofar. Any guesses on what taka means? Sometimes it's not hard to guess. Uh, in the context, means to blow on something in the when it's paired with shofar. Okay, he sounded the shofar, he blew on the shofar, and they stood. Subject, all the people. Notice how am, people, can take either a singular or a plural verb. Had a singular verb in the last verse here, has a plural verb. And all the people stood. Um, what's that mean, all the people stood? in this context. What have they been doing? They've been pursuing. So now Joab blows the shofar and the people to stand means to stand still, in other words, right? They stop pursuing. All the people stood and they didn't pursue any longer after Israel. I just think it's a striking thing um, in these narratives to have little phrases like they didn't pursue after Israel. Um, that David is actually pictured here as at war with Israel, in a sense. And the division that we're going to see later in the kingdom between, um, between Judah and Israel, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, is not only a later tragedy, it's that, but it's also a return to the situation as it was when David um, rose to power. So in a sense... Um, God, because of Solomon's wickedness and Rehoboam's uh, foolishness, he really reverses the wonderful work that he did in, uh, under David of uniting the people again as one people. Um, and the time of the united monarchy is very short. Most of the time of Israel in the land is a time of deep division. Time of the judges, great divisions. The tribes are at war with one another. and um, Only under David and Solomon do you have this short little time where they're united. So uh, 
All right, went to war. Uh, they did no longer, and they no longer pursued after Israel. Uh, and they did not add from uh, from Yasaf to add or continue any longer to. And here you have the Nifal infinitive construct of Lakam. Remember, Nifal infinitive constructs have a hey performative. And they're recognized by that Dagesh comments under the first root letter. And uh, Lakam to wage war is Nifal basic. It normally occurs in the Nifal. And so it doesn't have any special nuance here. Uh, Yasaf then it functions as, as a pair with the infinitive. They didn't add to wage war has the sense of they didn't continue any longer to wage war. Questions on 28? All right, we'll pick up with uh, verse 29 next week. Thanks, guys.